today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. You know, there are restrictions, of course, uh, about where we can go in some particular situations. But even after you land, uh, the rule as it stands right now is a, a 14-day period of, uh, of isolation after that where you're just supposed to get away from people in case, of course, you could be COVID positive, right? Well, a new study that was uh, actually done through McMaster University in Hamilton uh, brings that into question. It's a, a very, very extensive study that uh, has checked a number of people that have gone through this. To try to give you some clarity on exactly uh, what the findings were, we're pleased to welcome to the program uh, Dr. Merrick Smea, who is the scientific director of McMaster's Health Labs and a professor of pathology and molecular medicine. Uh, doctor, thank you so much for the time. I'm glad you could join us today. Oh, you're very welcome. These are uh, very interesting results. This is, and we should mention to our listeners too, uh, I, I think probably the most uh, intense study that was done worldwide and, and it was handled right here. Uh, explain to us uh, the methodology, if you could. Sure. So first of all, these are interim results. The study is still ongoing, but these are for the first one month. So what we do is we enroll uh, uh, passengers uh, who land at Terminal 1 at uh, Pearson, uh, who originate from the United States or other uh, international uh, uh, destinations. And so they're required to quarantine for 14 days when they come. And so we asked the question, how often are they positive on landing? And so we did a uh, self-collected but supervised uh, oral nasal swab when they landed, sent that here to Research St. Joe's, uh, where that was uh, um, uh, tested by PCR. And then uh, at day seven and day 14, they also did an oral nasal swab. We had a courier that would pick it up and bring it to us. And so this is based on the first 8,000 people who had uh, most of whom uh, continued with 14-day follow-up. And that's what the numbers are based on. We'll have about double the number once we finish. Now, this is, as I say, this is a large uh, population that you're working from right now. Uh, and, and always, I, I know in past discussions uh, that we've had with the people that are undertaking studies like this, uh, one of the major, I guess, problems sometimes and challenges is to get everybody to stay in the study for the length of time. How much success did you have with that? Yeah, so we are about 70% overall, actually a little lower in September, and it's been a little bit better in October. Um, so yes, when people sign up, they might, they might sign up and not even do the swab. We, we have no lab information on them. We lost maybe 10% at that point. We then, uh, you know, from the baseline to seven days to 14 days lost a certain amount. So I think it was about 65% in September and more like 75% in October. Uh, so it's pretty good. In general, in May, Major clinical trials where, where, you know, drug therapy trials, things like that, we aim for at least 80% follow-up in cohorts, even short, short cohorts. It's hard to do that, but we, 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 were, we were hoping for at least, uh, uh, <clears throat> you know, about 65%. We got that. Uh, we, again, we'll be a little bit better for the overall study. Now, let's, let's talk about the quarantine period, because uh, as we were going through this, especially the first wave of COVID, uh, restrictions were announced uh, by governments at various forums, and, and air travel was uh, one of the, the more serious areas of concern for obvious reasons, because of the, the very nature of it itself. Uh, and it was established that 14-day quarantine was probably the best way to go. I'm not sure exactly mm -hmm. how much science was put into that decision, but there it was. Uh, the results you've got so far in this study, though, doctor, indicate that that may be overreaching. Maybe we don't need 14 days. Yeah, so I think 14 days was developed when you don't do testing, and it was based on what's the maximal possible incubation time. If I'm exposed today uh, to uh, COVID, um, I will develop symptoms usually within five, seven days. Uh, the early study said maybe as far as 12 and a half, 13 days. So 14 days was felt to capture virtually 100% of people after exposure. Um, but the question is, 
could a test develop, could a test show that you're positive before you develop symptoms? Uh, and, and most of the data suggests that by five to seven days, um, probably 95% of people who are going to develop COVID are already shedding the virus, which means if you're negative by day seven, your chance of, of, of uh, you know, from your original exposure of getting uh, COVID is pretty low. The other thing, of course, is we're still not sure how many people get asymptomatic COVID. It'll be anywhere from, you know, one third to 90% in different populations. Um, and so what we're, de- what we're detecting is asymptomatic COVID uh, as well as symptomatic COVID. And, and, and I think that's one of the strengths of our study. That's, that's the wild card in this whole thing, isn't it? Anytime we're doing research is the asymptomatic element. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And that's, that's, you know, at, at, back in the summer, we were testing a lot more in asymptomatic populations. Right now, in the clinical laboratory, we're primarily only testing people with, with symptoms, uh, and that's really because they're the highest priority. Um, but there are entire countries that have tried to test everybody for both symptomatic and asymptomatic, uh, and and so it's you know it's an internet it's an it's a big debate across the world is what's the role of of testing asymptomatic, and it's a big question for international travelers where more and more. Uh, airlines are requiring a test before you can get on a flight. Well, and again, yeah, that's uh, uh, cautious, I guess, uh, but that's the, the the norm, I guess, these days. People are very concerned about the spread of, of situations like this. The data that you've received so far, and, and and we want to remind our listeners, as you told us, Doctor, this this is an ongoing uh, survey that this is this is not completed as of yet, and it's going to carry on. And, and things are changing right now, especially since we're into a second wave, and there's some concern about uh, the, the way that and the nature, and I guess the rapidity with, with we're spreading these days. Uh, but do you feel that the data you have right now is is substantive enough that, that there might be a reconsideration of the policies? Um, I think it'll be, you know, uh, I guess there's two, two, quite, two separate policies that, that need to be thought about. The first is, do people require testing before getting on an airplane um, and or on landing? And that's from the point of view of uh, probably more protecting your family, maybe even just protecting the flight itself. Um, but, you know, if you land and you're a traveler, you're in quarantine for 14 days, but you're probably still in contact with some people. We try to have them self-isolate, you know, if their family wasn't a part of the traveling group. Um, and so just knowing you're positive can hopefully protect that family better. We also know people don't always comply with quarantine, uh, so we don't want to let them out prematurely until the government sort of uh, agrees that's safe. But the reality is there's no perfect quarantine. Even now, we're sure there's some proportion who break quarantine and testing would at least identify those that are higher risk to the public. So I, I do believe that the vast majority will be identified by day seven. The bigger question is, can we mobilize enough testing without in any way impacting clinical testing? And of course, in, in this study, we did it through a research lab. We had, you know, all of our materials we were able to obtain independently of any clinical supplies. But we don't want to do this at the price of, of slowing down any clinical testing. That's that's obviously the priority. So I I think hopefully yes that we will see a uh, you know a, um, a shorter quarantine if we're also able to do a baseline test and a seven day test. The next question is can we operationalize that? And of course we'll be more confident of that once we have a bit more data. But that's that's what the data shows so far. 
But shouldn't that be the, the nature of the conversation anyway? I mean, you know, let's face it, we're learning more about the virus almost on a daily basis. So we, we certainly know a lot more about it than we did back in January, February, uh, and, yep. and how it operates and, and how it, it, it travels and how it spreads and things of this nature. Uh, and so you'd think there would have to be at some point some reevaluation of some of the standards that we've set based on the, on the increased knowledge we have. Sure. I mean, you know, if we could go back to February, if we could have had this in place in February, we were pretty sure all COVID, you know, had to come into the country but through travel, whether by car or by, by plane. Right now, where most of the COVID is community spread, we don't want to add to it through travel-related, but the travel-related, especially after seven days, is going to be incredibly rare. On the other hand, it, we could get, come to a point, you know, let's say February, March, where we've controlled it maybe better through public health and, and vaccination and so on, and maybe the, the borders become the major way that we import it again, and maybe there'll become a time where 14 days would be appropriate again. But at this time where there's community spread, um, where we have testing abilities, I, I, I think keeping people in quarantine for 14 days you know, is probably unnecessary. But at the end of the day, as a physician and scientist, I can provide the data. It will be for, you know, government bodies to uh, to make these sorts of decisions. Well, and it's got to be factor, I would think. We just heard yesterday, of course, that the federal government has extended the uh, the, the, the border closings uh, for at least another four weeks. So it'll be mid-December, mm-hmm. I guess, before they reevaluate that. But at, at mm-hmm. some point, are they going to say, yeah, go ahead, open it up again? And uh, data like this is going to be very important in that decision. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that, you know, had we had this data back in the summer, I think we could have liberalized uh, travel and, and, and shortened quarantine back then. Nobody knows, uh, obviously, what the next few weeks are going to look like. As they get worse and worse, if they do, there probably will be little appetite to uh, to, uh, to liberalize quarantine. However, uh, at a time where it's appropriate, and I do hope this, this uh, study will, will help guide uh, policy. Very important work and, and, and very germane to, to the discussions that we're having at just about all levels of government, but certainly even as individuals, uh, whether or not to make these decisions and the impact of traveling might have on us. Doctor, uh, thank mm-hmm. you for the great work that you and your staff are doing on this, and uh, thanks so much for sharing some of the uh, the data with us today on your program. I really do appreciate it. My, my, my pleasure, and thank you for your interest. Take care. Dr. Merrick Smea, uh, Scientific Director at McMaster Health Labs and Professor of Pathology. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.